Well, you have your Bible with you? Come on, get your Bible. I'm going to read a scripture to you. I'm coming back to the message on the fellowship of the burning hearts. We're going to continue on this a little bit, and and it's an invitation God's given us. And and the scripture says this, says, did not our heart burn within us? They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? This is the scriptures, amen? Hold it up. Say, these are my scriptures. This is the word of God, and it's my Bible. It was written for me, so I can be who it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. And it was written for my benefit. It was written for my wisdom. It was written to give me victory. And I will be triumphant because I know the end of this book. And from the beginning to the end, I know the one who wrote it. And he wrote it about me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? Now, let me say this to you. I, and this, this, is, this is caution. This is care. This is concern. Okay. Uh, this is because I care. This is because I have a responsibility as a shepherd that if while the scriptures are being open and your heart doesn't burn, either you got a sorry preacher or you're not in that fellowship. Our hearts, the Bible is telling us, should burn. When Jesus is unveiling the scriptures, there ought to be something in there. Even if it causes you, listen to me. You say, well, burn, what do you mean burn? Maybe it causes you to love that person sitting next to you more. Maybe it starts to warm your heart. You've heard that phrase before. Maybe it starts to get you this sense of, of excitement or of enthusiasm to want to do something. Maybe, it, maybe it, it turns on inside of you this switch that says, I want to read the Bible more. I, I want to I learn more. I want to, to know more. It, it just starts to stir something inside of you. We want to be responsive. We want to respond to. We want to RSVP to. The call of the invitation to be a part of the fellowship of the burning hearts. There's nothing I don't think that I can have a greater joy. And I know the scripture says there's no greater joy but to know that your children walk in the truth. And part of that truth is, is that we'd be in the fellowship, that our hearts would be on fire for God. That our hearts would be passionate for God. That our hearts would be zealous for God. And not just for God, but for his house. And not just for God, but for his people. And not just for God and his house and his people, but for the world. For God so, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now how does love and fire and burning hearts connect together? God is and all-consuming fire. God is fire. Are you with me? And so if fire has love, then we ought to have love if we're on fire. Amen? We ought to love one another. We ought to love church. We ought to love the Word of God. We ought to love the things of the Spirit. We ought to love the unlovable. You say, well, you just said they're unlovable. But with Christ, all things are possible. I want you to know something. You have entered into the zone of possibilities. You are sitting in the very aspect, the very presence of the possibility. Anything is possible today in your life. Anything you pray, anything you believe is possible. Because with God, 
All things are possible. Maybe you came in here a a little discouraged. Maybe you came in here with a measure of doubt or of unbelief. Or maybe you've resolved to the point that that's just not going to happen. Maybe it can't happen in my day frame, in my time frame, in my days that I'm living. I'm telling you, whatever is in this Bible in those days is now possible in these days. I'm going to say it again. Anything that's in this Bible from those days it is written about, it is possible in these days. I'm telling you, with God. God, all things are possible. So God, we welcome you. We welcome your presence. We welcome your power, Lord God. We welcome your your will and your way. And we ask you to be amongst us and to be present with us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone that agrees says, amen. Luke chapter 24. Uh, That's our text area there, and I'm going to go ahead and pick up in verse 17. We talked a little bit last week about the conversation. We're going to pick up what Jesus said in that moment. And he said to them that he is Jesus, and he said to them, who are them? It's two guys, if you weren't here last week, it's two guys walking seven miles back to Emmaus from Jerusalem. It's on the day of resurrection, on the very first Easter, if you would, the day of resurrection, and they're walking back, and they're having a conversation about Jesus. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So the question was last week, what kind of conversations are you having? Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, what, what, what is, what is the, what's the theme of your conversation? What, what's, the, what's the concept of what you're trying to conclude in the fellowship that you have with other people? And especially those you're walking with. Who are you walking with? Are you walking with believers? Are, are you walking in agreement? Are you walking in truth? He, he says, what kind of conversations are you having? And then he asked the question, he said, why are you so sad? We didn't spend as much time on that last week. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it this week. But the reality is, being that Jesus asked these two questions, there's a very good possibility something must have been wrong. There is a very good possibility. Have you ever had somebody who knows all ask you a question about all that you're doing? There's a very good possibility if the one who knows all and is all is asking you a question about all that you're doing, there might be something missing. There might be something, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with being humble enough to say, you know, I don't know them like I could know them. I don't know them like I should know them. I don't know them like I'm going to know them. It all depends on how you say it, but I'm telling you, I want to know him better. I want to know what I don't know. I want to experience, listen to me, I want to experience what I have not yet experienced. I want to know how that burning bush did not get destroyed, how that burning bush did not get consumed. I want to know how that flame of fire, the angel of the Lord, I want to know how he spoke out of that to Moses. I want to know how to carry a rod and a staff. I want to know how to lift it over uh, my, my, my opposition. I want to see the sea in front of me split. I want to see the rock bring water out. I want to know how this God works with these kind of people. I want to know. I'm not afraid to say I haven't seen it all. I'm not afraid to say that I don't know it all, but I'm not afraid to say I'm going to see more and I'm going to know more. So that's the idea we want to get to. He's saying to these guys, he says, why are you so sad? The concept is you start to read the Bible. When you fellowship with one another, you pray with one another. Praying shouldn't make you sad. It should make you happy. That the things you prayed about that you're sad about have a chance now to change about. Uh, He said that you ought to encourage one another. Last time I encouraged somebody, they didn't get sad. They didn't get disappointed. 
And listen, you got to ask yourself, when I walk into a fellowship and a relationship, do people get happier or do they get sadder? Is it depressing or is it liberating? Come on, somebody. Uh, you, know, you need to stop and go, nah, you know, I, I knew there was something about this fellowship, about that someone that I was fellowshipping with. Every time I walk away, I feel worse than I do better. We ought to feel better that we've been hanging out with one another, that we've been walking in fellowship with people who are praying for us, caring for us, forgiving us. Have you ever had those friends that won't forgive you? Friends, that's not true fellowship. That's, that's evangelism. Come on, somebody. That's long-suffering. That's forbearing. But now he said, listen, you guys shouldn't be sad right now. This stuff ought to make you happy. This stuff ought to make you feel good and get excited about something. So something must be wrong. Verse 18. Then one, the one whose name was Cleopas. Now, let's just stop here for a second. The, the guy could answer right there. You want to know why I'm sad? My parents named me Cleopas. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I have no idea how to say that name because I've never heard that name other than when I've read that name. That would give any man enough reason to be a little down. But obviously that wasn't the situation because he didn't say that. He was comfortable in his own skin. And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Nah, you know, I just can't get past it too far. Maybe the other guy go, you answer because I don't even want to tell him my name. He said, Cleopas answered and he said to him, here's the key. He answered and he said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Do you not know what's been happening over the last three days and literally over the last week and a half ever since Jesus came into town? Ever since this guy that preached this incredible message got us all stirred up and, and we started to follow him and, and, and we left the, the common faith and, and we've been somewhat uh, 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 just put out and somewhat uh, uh, denied access and, and we converted from, from the Jewish faith to the, to the Christian that this guy was talking about. Have you not heard? I mean, there's been some stuff going on in these days. Are you the only stranger? What is a stranger? Listen to this. Are you the only stranger? I'm telling you what, stranger things are about to happen. And these guys have no idea the strangeness of what they're experiencing. They're clueless. Remember, their eyes were restrained. Remember, they, they, they could not see nor perceive what was going on. They didn't know it was Jesus. They are disciples of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. Uh, maybe they attended the church. Maybe they attended to meetings that he held. Maybe they'd gone to crusades. Maybe, maybe these guys even fed, were fed with the 5,000 men, the bread and the loaves. Maybe they saw the miracles. Maybe they were some of the guys who were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden this boat shows up and Jesus shows up. But they never saw him get in a boat. And they're like, how did he get over here? He walked on water. Who knows what these guys had experienced? They said, are you the only stranger? In other words, they're saying everybody knows, everybody knows what has happened in these past few days. Listen to me. For God so loved the world. The, the, that, that world right there, everybody knew what had happened. A person who is unknown or with whom one is unacquainted. And so this guy is speaking to Jesus and calling him a stranger. So what this is literally telling me 
the humility of this believer is he's saying, hey, I'm not acquainted with you. I don't know who you are. Yeah, you do. You're the guy who's been walking with me for the last three and a half years. Uh, you've been with me for the last year of your life. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm the same Jesus. But what it's literally saying is, and we need to come to terms and grips with this, is God getting ready to do something that is strange to me? Is God getting ready to do something that I'm unacquainted with? Is God getting ready to do something that, that I, I don't have the perception, I don't comprehend and understand? I want a God who's bigger than this. I want a God who's even greater than this. I want a God who has a better, a better span than this. I want a God who's bigger than me, greater than me, more than me, uh, more beautiful, more glorious than anything I've ever seen. So what he's saying is, he's saying to him, he said, I'm not acquainted with you. Uh, You're a stranger to me. You're a stranger to me. Are you okay? Are you and I going to be okay with Jesus becoming a stranger to us? Now, you're going to notice something here just a little bit. I'm going to kind of jump ahead. It was religion that condemned him. It was religion that crucified him. It was those who knew all, but knew nothing at all. Know-it-alls really know nothing at all. Amen? Don't let your knowledge exalt itself above the knowledge of God. I'm telling you, stranger things are yet to be seen. I'm telling you, glorious things have yet to be experienced. I read things in the Bible, and quite often in the Bible, saying, Now, you know, I haven't seen that before. Now, you know, I, I, we talk about tasting and seeing, hearing and believing. I haven't been there yet. But those days are going to be these days. And these days are going to be like those days. Amen? He says to him, he says, these days, the last three weeks or two, the last two weeks, he said, everything is about to change drastically. Now, you know, some people last Sunday night had an extraordinary extreme transition in her life. As we're going to bed last night, trying to get to bed early, uh, Gretchen says, oh, and I need to tell you this, and oh, I need to tell you this, and oh, I need to tell you this, and oh, and oh. And and, and nine out of ten were testimonies of people who had been healed. The the coolest one to me, and, and, and I've heard many through the week, somebody came up and got prayed for last Sunday night for their hip, and where God touched them in their hip went all the way to their foot. And they're diabetic and had a sore in their foot that they were concerned with, which is a very dangerous thing for a person with diabetes. Monday morning, the sore was gone. Gone. I said, gone. Okay. You know, somebody else put in Facebook uh, last night and Greg said, oh, let me read this one to you. I forgot about this one. And she starts reading our church. The church we go to, the Sunday night worship service at our church and the pastor, no names of anybody. I had had this, this trouble with my left lung, and it was called out for a left lung and said, I'm off the medicine, I can breathe, I'm totally healed, don't have to go to the doctor. Now watch. What is so cool about that one is nobody was named. Nobody was mentioned. It, you can't draw back to that person or even that church. That's where he's at. That's who he is. Amen? He's an unlimited God. Okay? So I'm telling you, uh, you're in the place of possibilities. 
I want you to know you felt it in worship just like I felt it. At least 75% of you did. We started singing that song about healings and started singing that song, the very opening song there that you're thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I'm telling you, there's an unction this morning to pray for the sick and the sick will be healed. I'm telling you, extraordinary things are going to happen. The answer, Cleopas answered and said to him, let me share with you a little bit of identification of the fellowship of the burning hearts. They're in the early stages of their fellowship, but we come to find out that the heart started to burn when he started to speak to them. So here's some things that align with, that position us, that prepare us to be part of the fellowship of the burning hearts. Always be ready to give an answer concerning the hope that lies within you. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set the God of fire in your heart. That'll put your heart on fire. Have you ever done a fire before and you look at something and say, why is that not burning? It's not combustible. It might melt eventually, but you sometimes we have things in the fire that aren't going to burn in the fire. You should have never put them in the fire. Amen. You got to separate yourself from things that are not flammable, from things that are not uh, the things that are hard and callous. You got to break yourself away. I will not worship any idols. You've got to come out of idolatry, which is an excessive form of worship of self worship is the worst form of idolatry. If all you're concerned about is yourself, you're not following Jesus because Jesus said, if any man's going to come out, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow him. Not provide for himself, not, not adorn himself, and not, not draw attention to himself. Come on, somebody. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the teachings of Jesus himself. He's in fellowship with these guys. And when Jesus, when you get in fellowship with Jesus, you will come out of idolatry. When your heart starts to burn for Jesus, your heart will not burn for the things of this world. Amen? He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give into defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give an answer, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you for your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, for it is better if it is the will of God for, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Amen? Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Well, he says with an exclamation point. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Now, we have this mindset. We're going to break this mindset. We have this mindset still resting in the church, especially in the Bible Belt, in the southern straight state region. I'm the preacher, and that's who's supposed to preach. No, no, no. You're a preacher, too. Uh, we, we, we've, we've made an entitlement role here, but we're all meant to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the instruction of believers. But our mindset, this is preaching. I have a five-fold ministry office, and I have a responsibility to help equip you to do the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry is to make the gospel known to other people. Amen? He says, preach the word. Listen to this. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. This is a unique season uh, that we're in right now, and it comes every year about this time, well, twice a year, when you go from fall to winter and you go from, uh, from, from, from winter to spring, is that you have to take layers of clothing with you. 
You start off with a bunch on, you start to take a few off, and by the evening you better have some with you. But I'm seeing people show up places that didn't go out until afternoon, and in the evening they're not dressed for the coolness that comes. Or I've seen the opposite. People left in the morning think it's going to be that way all day, and they're sweating, and they're huffing, and they're puffing through it, okay? Uh, You've got to be ready in season. You've got to be prepared in season. You and I, fellowship with Jesus, listen to me, and fellowship with others who fellowship with Jesus will help you be prepared to have an answer for the others are going to ask you. Jesus, a stranger, asked them a question. And I'm telling you, when stranger things start to happen, strangers are going to ask you questions. And I'm not just talking about Jesus, but I'm talking about people who oppose. I'm talking about religious matter and religious mindsets. I'm talking about people that you used to hang out with and people that are going to ask you questions. You and I need to have an answer. We need to be ready. We need to be instant in season and out of season. I'm going to give you a little illustration. Maybe you can tell what this is. It's a match. It's a matchbox. You know what this match is doing right now? Simply being ready. Fellowship of the burning hearts. You may not feel like you're burning right now. You may not feel like, but I'm telling you, when it strikes and when it happens, it's ready. There is nothing I had to do to that match to make it any more ready than it already is right now. This is a church. You know, like kind of this is a church. Here's the steeple. Look inside and there's the people. You remember that one? You and I should be ready to ignite. Ready to be lit. Ready to strike. We should be ready at all times. Even though we may not know everything. Even though we may not understand everything. Even though, but we ought to be ready for that moment. Amen? Jesus was drawn into fellowship with them. Jesus wanted to be with them. Wanted to be in fellowship with them. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? Remember, he asked him, he said, do you not know the things that have happened? So Jesus said, well, what things? In other words, Jesus says, tell me the way you see it. Tell me the way you, you need to answer for yourself. You need to know how to make an answer for yourself. Don't worry about somebody else. Jesus asked his disciples early along. He taught them this concept. In Matthew chapter 16, he said, he said who do people say that I am? Oh, you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, you're just one of the prophets, you're a good guy. He says, okay, he said, that's fine, but who do you say that I am? Because a lot of people can have a lot of perspectives on you, and a lot of people have perspectives on this church or on another church, just like you and I may have. But the reality is we need to answer for ourselves. And that answer is not, let me call my pastor. Now, I'm not saying that we won't help each other. But the goal is, I'm not saying if that's where you are, the goal is to not have to be there, but to be able to give an answer for yourself. So Jesus said to him, to Ocleopas, he said, what things? Tell me what what you're talking about. What's on your mind? So they said to him, so the other guy speaks up now too. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, who was a prophet, was is preceding everything now, who was a prophet, mighty indeed. He was mighty indeed. He was mighty in word before God and all the people. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Well, let me point out a few things. They made reference of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, they're talking to a stranger. He's no longer Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus of heaven. He's Jesus of the first resurrection. That's why they don't know him. They don't know him. They're not living the resurrected life. They have no concept of it. 
Stranger things are about to happen. Who was a prophet. I get the statement. It's a good statement. But they're speaking in past tense. And the reality is, he's now the Messiah. He's not a prophet anymore telling him what's going to happen. He's the fulfillment of everything that's been prophesied. Come on, somebody. That's Jesus. They're talking to the Messiah. But they still just know him of what he did, not of who he is. His word was good. <laughs> that's right. Now he's good to his word. He told him, he said, I'll raise up in three days. They're talking to fulfillment. They have no concept of it. Now, these are people who have walked with Jesus. They have seen signs and wonders that you and I have possibly, most likely, have never even seen at the magnitude that they've seen. I don't know what they sat in. I don't know what mighty deeds they saw, but they were there. Listen to me. Come off your high horse. Get off your religious and your spiritual development because I'm telling you, there's coming such a God who rides on the heaven of heavens. There's coming such a God who moves in with a the cloud. There's coming such a move of God that we've never seen any. Listen, all candidates right now are trying to brag on the braggadocious in a moment. There's a movement. There's a movement. They're picking up on something, but they don't realize it's not a political movement. It's not something that's going to be governed by the ways of man. There's a move of God that is coming. And I'm telling you, church, it's time to be ready. And when he asks you that question, you can strike like a match because you're part of the fellowship of the burning hearts. You're in the right place at the right time. They said, he is dead, he's condemned, and crucified. That's their description of Jesus. He's dead, condemned, been crucified. I remind you who crucified him and how the chief priests, the chief priests, those those who are the elevated ones, those who are controlling and telling people what to do and how to do it and calling the shots and, and setting things over and also saying what's not allowed. Listen to me, a lot of Indians died because of what they weren't allowed to do. Chief priest, he is the high priest. Listen to me, they have no idea who they're talking to. And it said that the chief priest and the rulers and our rulers, I want to tell you what can condemn Jesus in your life, as letting somebody else rule your life or letting something else rule your life. Whatever it is, whatever vice, whatever grip that has a hold on you that is ruling your life can make Jesus only as good as condemnation. Can make Jesus only as good as as he's dead, as dead faith. If something in your life is ruling your life that is not Jesus Christ, he's going to seem to be of no value and of no purpose in your life. Come on now. You know it as well as I know it. People who know Jesus, profess Jesus, but there is no living evidence of Jesus taking place in life. Only but the hope of resurrection. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. Listen, if you're not able to do the will of God, if somebody is not living in the will of God, something, someone, somewhere else is ruling their life. It's as if Jesus is just a religion. But he's come to be a relationship. That's why he showed up to two men walking down the road because he's looking for fellowship. He's looking for relationship. He didn't go to the high pinnacle where the devil tried to take him. He went to the lowest place of a conversation of humble people who knew but yet did not know. Who didn't have the depth of perception. That's where he'll meet you. There's one thing that God will not despise. 
It's humility, contriteness, brokenness. Amen? Verse 21. They went on to say, but, but we were hoping, but we were. Do you hear everything still in past tense? They said, we were hoping. In other words, that hope has been deferred. And so in other words, these guys are saying, my heart is sick. My heart is not healthy. There's something in my heart that's missing, that's lacking. He said, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, all this past tense, we, 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 we were hoping, but, but now it doesn't seem possible. And we thought that what was going to be possible is now no longer possible. It's not him. It's not him. Now, now keep in mind here, they're still talking about Jesus. Yeah. Don't count everybody out who's fellowshipping about Jesus, even if they might have some doubt or some disbelief. Why? Because he's known as a stranger, something that we're not acquainted to. If we only live the rest of our life of what we've experienced, we too will start to live in the past and never be pertinent to the present, nor ever experience the future. So don't just live off of what you've experienced. Ask for stranger things. Ask for the unacquainted one, the one that you don't know. Find out where that Jesus is, not just what somebody ingrained in you for years and years and years, and they ruled over you, and they were a chief priest over your life. But no, say, Jesus, I want you. I read about you in the Bible, and they tell me you don't do it that way anymore. They tell me that you're not there anymore. They tell me that's what you used to do. But my Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. My God is a present God. Amen? We were hoping. They're losing hope. Going to. They said, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day. Since these things happen, this is something they have going for them. They understand the times. (laughs) You got to get this. They understand the times. You and I need to accept the times we're living in. We need to understand the times. And God is getting ready to unfold and unveil a little bit better. I looked at the clock and it's 1017. Every time I see the number 1017, you know what I think about? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can discern the times. You can understand the days that you're living in, the times you're living. They said, they said but it's the third day. And besides all this is third day. It's almost like it's the last hour. It's almost like there's not much time left. He was supposed to do this on the third day. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb earlier astonished us. Now, I'll just throw this in there because women seem to have this quicker spiritual intuition, alertness, awareness. They just kind of pick up on these things. Notice here, the women were the first ones to go there. There was this desire. Let them have their way. Let them seek God. Listen, I'm trying to say something. I believe this this is from the Lord. When they start to talk about these spiritual things, don't hush them. Listen to me, boys. Don't hush them. They're seekers. It's built inside of them to know. They want to know details. Sometimes we miss God by not knowing the details of who he is. Amen? And so they're seeking. They show up there at the tomb, certain women, and they astonished us. And when they did not find his body... They came saying that they have also seen a vision of angels who was alive. Now, notice there's some, there's some supernatural things taking place here. He's not there, and they're astonished. 
But they didn't find his body in the physical. But angels were revealed. These guys have a natural understanding of Jesus, but they're void of the supernatural understanding of Jesus. They don't have spiritual perception. Everything he said was going to happen is happening, but they can't get it. And there's a lot of people that know how to go to church, knows what the church is supposed to do. And in the natural, we got it. And we got this thing and we have to see things in the natural, but they're not getting things in the spiritual. Are you with me? We need to be spiritually minded to have life and peace. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, now they're more apt to hear the natural than they are the spiritual. And certain of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now there's something in here. It's just a little side note, and I'm going to start wrapping this thing up. Uh, certain women of our group went, and, and then after that, certain other ones went, and we know who they are, and they weren't all the disciples. But you've got to stop right there and think, Cleo, and whatever the other guy's name is, why didn't you go to the tomb? You're just hinging on what the preachers are saying. You're just hinging on what the apostles are saying. You're just, you're just hinging on what those intercessor women are saying. You're, just, you're, you're always trying to hear what somebody else is saying, and, and you don't even believe what they're saying. It astonishes you. He's not there, but had no faith to believe that he's right here. He's right there. Notice who he's appearing to. He's not, listen, this, this is, you need to understand me. This is not the age of God just coming to the preachers and the pulpits. He's going to come to the seekers of the fellowship of burning hearts. Are you with me? There's something about these two guys that he wants to be right there. Besides all this, this is the third day. Well, let me remind you, okay, as we start to wrap this up. Let me remind you, Jesus said these very words. Matter of fact, let me tell you where he did it. He came to the church. If judgment doesn't begin in the house of God, it hasn't started yet. Okay? So he comes to the church and he starts doing his business in the church. He starts doing his work in the church. In John chapter 2, pick up in verse 13. Now the pastor of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold. Now the temple was a building at that time. He found in the temple a place where people meet for God. He found those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers. They're doing business. Remember when Jesus was at the temple, what did he say? You should have known I've been about my father's business, okay? They're doing their business. If you get a picture of like standing in there and everybody's handing out business cards to one another. Just kind of trading with each other and, and oh, I brought this, I was thinking about you, I didn't have time to call you this week. So I thought, I knew I'd see you at church, so hey, I want to sell you these little gadgets here and sell you these things here. And matter of fact, this is why we're here, we'll, just, we'll start doing business for our own benefit, our own pleasure. It says, he came in, and when he had made a whip of cords, notice in mind, never would just tell us he whipped anybody, he's just making some noise. He poured out the, the changes of money and overturned the tables, the things that, listen, the revival coming may, may overturn the things you're counting on. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. 
Let me tell you something about fire. Fire is zealous and it eats things up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said, he's being asked a question. He has an answer. Always be ready to give an answer concerning the things that lie within inside of you. Jesus said and answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Destroy this temple. He's trying to say to him, this, this is a symbolic temple of God. It has purpose. That purpose has been, has been uh, 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 ruined. It's been uh, uh, just tainted. He said, but listen, I've come to show you what the temple of God's supposed to look like. He said, you destroy this one, and in three days, I'll raise it up. So he's now speaking spiritual, not on a natural basis. Are you with me? And now you get the picture. What had happened in these days is that he's not in a tomb. They can't find it. They're looking for the body. They don't see things in the spirit. Are you with me? What he said he was going to do, he did. All right. So now watch what happens here. But he's speaking. They said, it took 46 years to build this temple. And you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, they believed the scriptures in the word which Jesus had said to them. So we're not in any way going back to the people of the tomb. I'm not saying they didn't believe. It's the other two walking down the road having fellowship. They're only picking up what they want to hear or what they can hear. They're not able to hear what they're hearing yet. They're not able to see what they're seeing yet. What I'm trying to say to you is there are going to be some people who are going to be living in revival and you may not get it even though they're saying it and even though they've got it. Unless you get it and see it for yourself. Does that make sense? He said, they said, in other words, they said, it's the third day. In other words, what they were saying, I'll give him three days, but if not by then, I'm going to go back. Think about this. But it's the third day. We're going back to Emmaus. But it's the third day. They're not at the temple seeking. They're not pursuing. But he came to him. He doesn't want to lose anybody, friends. That's revival. He doesn't want a heart that once beat for him, a heart that once had a flame for him, a heart that once had desire for him. He doesn't want to lose anybody. And listen, listen, no child left behind. The world picks up on concepts of God better than the church picks up themselves but they use it in the natural instead of in the kingdom. He doesn't want to lose anybody. It's not his desire. So I have to ask you and I, if the answer doesn't come in three days of prayer, are we in the same position? Come on. Well, I gave him three prayers. I gave him three days. I gave him three hours. I gave him three minutes. Nothing's happened. So what do we go back to? And I think quite often we do. We go back to old nature and old habits. We go back to old places. We stay the same. You know, most people that had a divine encounter with Jesus, their name changed. And I'm sure if Cleopas knew that. Verse 25. Joy, you can come join me, please. Then he said to them, oh, foolish ones. Here's what I want you to hear. And slow of heart to believe. In all that the prophets have spoken. Remember, he was a prophet. Now the Messiah. But they didn't believe everything he said. Some disciples did. Some didn't. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? Remember, part of this move of God is going to be the glory of God. And and once you've tasted it, once you've seen it, you'll want it. And it's coming. He doesn't want to lose any one of us to drifting away. Well, foolish ones, ought not the Christ have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses, and beginning at Moses, the fellowship of the burning hearts. Remember, he appeared in a burning bush. He did, Jesus. He's, he's, he's connecting them to this extraordinary fellowship. He's giving them description of all of his fiery relationships. And beginning at Moses, I can hear him saying, and I appeared to Moses as the flame of fire in a fiery bush that did not burn up. And ever since then, you guys are worried about three days. I'm talking to you right now about 4,000, 5,000 years. I've been aflame with this situation. Probably 3,000, 4,000. And beginning at Moses, in all the prophets, he expounded them. In other words, I can hear him saying right now, you know, I told this prophet to say this, and I told that prophet to say that. Everything you've ever heard came from me. He starts to expound them. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Could you imagine? Could you imagine when that unction comes on your life and he starts teaching you all things that you need to know? The Spirit said he'll teach you and lead you and guide you into all truth. The unction will come upon you and teach you all things that you need to know. His concern was you're slow in heart to believe. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. I think God is speaking to slow hearts this morning. Slow hearts that, that need to be accelerated, that need to be quickened, that need to be ignited, that need to be struck, that need to be set on fire. Listen, once a fire gets going, there's nothing slow about it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and search carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ listen and the glories that would follow and the glories that would follow and the glories that would follow to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven I honestly believe in the depths of every bit of my soul of my being that I stand before you in this season of your life as one who's hearing a message from heaven I honestly believe That every time I say, with God, all things are possible, you're seated in a place of possibilities, that there's nothing too difficult for God. I honestly believe for such a time as this, I was sent. I honestly believe that I stand before you with a message sent from heaven that's saying he's inviting his church, this church specifically as I stand before you, into the fellowship of burning hearts to set our hearts on fire. 
things which angels desire to look into. Three pillars of the church. God manifest in the flesh. Jesus as seen by angels. He said in his church. I don't know how to tell you other than this. You and I are living in the age of restoration of the temple. Watch this. He said in three days, three days, he said, I'll raise this temple up. Do you know what the temple of God is now? It's not some gold dome in Israel, friends. That's no, it's you. It's you. It's his church. We are literally living in the age of restoration. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? I, I don't know how to say this other than just to say it and let you hear it in faith. He is rebuilding his church. He's restoring his church. He's putting his church back together. He's making his church. Now you say, but what about the three days? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We are in a 3,000-year period since Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again. He is going to start doing in one day what would take thousand, a thousand years before to get done. Well, what are you saying? I'm talking about what he told us in 2019. Supernatural acceleration. Things are going to happen so fast. They're going to happen so quick that the goodness and the favor of God is going to overtake you. It's when the plowers are going to be overcome with the harvesters. It's all going to happen. It's the second coming of Christ, but it's all preceded by the former and the latter glory all coming together to the temple, to the house of God. I don't know how to tell you other than I know that I'm sent on authority. I know that I'm sent by God. I know that he wanted me planted in Scottsboro, Alabama. I know that I'm preaching a message sent from heaven. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming in the glories of God. Things are going to happen so fast you would not be able to comprehend what's going to happen. That's the only way I know how to say it to you. I wish I could break it down differently. I wish that you and I could take a walk uh, to Section or take a walk to Gurley or take a walk to Gunnersville. I wish we could ride in a vehicle somewhere together and sit down and have these conversations. And you and I may not be able to, but there's somebody sitting in here that can. And you start talking about these things. You start talking about revival. You prophesy like it's coming where sons and daughters will prophesy and old men will have dreams and young men will have visions and the glories of God will come and set upon the temple of God that he will fill his house. He'll fill the land with the glory of God. I'm telling you, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming in Jesus' name. Amen.